So as we can continue in our series, no matter what, um, I, I will tell you that Scripture is not going to be up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read Scripture to you. If you want to go back and verify it, uh, you can certainly do that. I am reading from the Bible. Um, it is not some other Bible. This is the same Bible we read from. So if you need to verify it, please go back and read it. Uh, as a matter of fact, you should go back and read everything that I preach and verify it for yourself and see if that's exactly what God has said in His Word and make sure that the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart uh, something similar, that I'm not way out there in left field saying something that isn't true. You should always um, test everything in light of Scripture. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a dude named Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah happens to be one of my favorite guys. I just like Nehemiah um, because he is a pretty tough guy. He's not tough because he's tough. He's tough because he has God in his corner. He is believing that God has called him to something. Therefore, he has said, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And in our lives, we encounter these situations. Now, it may not be for you that God calls you to start a church. I don't know. It may be. It may not be that, that, that God calls you to to go and, and move to Africa and become a missionary for the rest of your life, but that may be. It is possible that that could happen. But what you have to say in your life is, no matter what, God, that you call me to do, I'm going to do it. Even if there are obstacles that stand in the way, God, you're going to have to make it blatantly apparent to me, once you put something on my heart, if I'm not supposed to go down that path, you've got to make it blatantly apparent to me that that is not what I'm to be doing. And you, you pray to God. Say, God, I know there are going to be obstacles that come up. And as you face those obstacles and as you face those challenges, we're going to talk about how Nehemiah faced those challenges. And he just did the right thing. In your life, most of the, most of the things that you're going to come up against are just going to be choices. We have the choice to do the right thing or to not do the right thing. That's, that's the thing that you're probably going to come up against most. If you're a student in high school or in college and, and you choose not to go to the parties and you choose not to do the things that everybody around you is doing, you will face obstacles in your life and one of those main obstacles that you will face will be being isolated, being felt like there's something wrong with you, being felt made to feel like, oh, you're one of those, you're one of those Bible thumpers, you're too good for everybody else. You don't participate in the things we do because, you know, you're too good for the rest of us, that sort of thing. That'll be probably the number one thing that you face. And you'll have the choice. You can either go along with the crowd and do what they do, or you can do the right thing. I've told you before is that if you, when you do the right thing, you are right. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else feels. When you do the right thing, you are right. I had a situation like this happen in my life, and um, in, in ministry, sometimes you have to pick those hills that you're willing to die on. You say, this is the right thing. I'm going to do this. If I don't have a job in ministry tomorrow, that's okay. I feel like God is impressing upon my heart that I'm supposed to do this, therefore I will do this. And one of those times happened in my life many years ago, and I was sitting at the table with three guys that were youth pastors at the time, or two other guys, we were all three youth pastors at the time, all three of us are now pastors, um, and we were talking about one student who kind of stuck out above the others, and how he was stepping up, and how he was taking a leadership role, and how he was doing great things, and this particular student happened to have a girlfriend in high school with him that was pregnant, 
And we talked about the transformation that was happening in this guy. We talked about how God was redeeming and restoring and renewing this guy and how he was praying and he was seeking God's forgiveness and he was trying to get his life back on track and do the right thing from that point forward. He knew that he had screwed up. There's no doubt about that, that he had done something wrong. But he acknowledged that and was moving forward. And, I, and we were all just like, you know what? God's got his hand on this guy and he's doing great things. This guy happens to be a youth pastor now. I really believe with all my heart he'll be a pastor one day. There's no doubt in my mind that that'll probably be the case for him. But it was brought up that because he had a girlfriend that was pregnant, it was brought up by our pastor at the time that he should go to an adult small group, that he had made adult choices, therefore he should go to an adult small group. And I didn't feel right about that. I didn't feel like that was okay. I felt like if we took him out of the... Uh, the, the Sunday school class and the small group that he was in and we put him in with the adults, I felt like he would be out of place. I felt like he wouldn't be able to, to fulfill that leadership role that God was actually working in his life. It just didn't feel like the right thing. And as the, the three of us were sitting at that, that table at Cracker Barrel right up the road here, we just we agreed that, that we are going to stand up and say, this young man needs to stay in the group that he's in. He needs to stay with the other teenagers. He needs to be allowed to grow like the other teenagers are allowed to grow, that we don't need to stick him somewhere else just to shuck him off. We need to allow him to be where he is and allow him to grow where he is. And we all agreed that day, said, that's a hill we're willing to die on. And sure enough, our pastor came in and sat down, and this, this is going to be the topic of the conversation of the day. And he looks at me first, and he goes, Kenny, what do you think? And I told him, I said, you know what, I think if we put him somewhere else, I think that's going to hurt the place that he's in right now. I believe the young man is growing. I believe that he's doing great things. I believe he is stepping up. I believe that he has repented, and I believe that he is, he is moving forward with his life, acknowledging what the past looked like, but then moving forward and saying, you know what, I'm going to make the right choices from here on out. And I said, I don't believe he belongs with the adults. I believe he needs to stay right where he is. That was nerve-wracking for me. As <laughs> I was like, I may not even get my breakfast paid for. I may just have to pay for my own breakfast and leave right now. It was ultimately decided after a long period of conversation amongst all of us that, that he would indeed stay there. And like I said today, this young man is a, a youth pastor in our community. And he is doing great things. And he is an amazing young man. <laughs> Um, I say young man, he's, he's a man now. He's, uh, he's in his 20s, and, and he's got, you know, I don't, I don't know. His, his quiver's full. He's got a ton of kids. I don't know how many he's got, but he's got a bunch of kids, and he's having, uh, you know, doing great things in ministry, and he's just a very godly man. Um, he, he is one that is unashamed completely of the gospel, uh, somebody that, that, that will very much walk up to you and say, hey, how are you doing today? Do you know Jesus? That kind of person. You know what I mean? Like somebody that's just very, very upfront with his faith. And, and I am so proud of him and the way that he carries himself today and the things that he is doing and the things that he, he, is, he is moving forward in his life in such a powerful way. It's such a radical transformation in his life. And I am so incredibly proud of him. But I had a choice that day to say, you know what? I can either go along with what I think it wants to be heard today because it's already been voiced to me. It's already been said to me 
that this is what should happen. Or I can say, no matter what, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I am so thankful for times like that when I said, no matter what, I'm going to do what I know God is calling me to do. No matter what. When, when this church was started, I, I, I told a few people, I said, you know what? God's called me to start a church. Do you have a building? No. Do you have anybody to play any instruments? No. Do you have any instruments? No. Do you have a sound system? No. But God's called me to start a church. It's going to be called Simple Church. You want to come and be a part of that? You know? It, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense, but you know what? God started working the pieces out together, and I'm thankful now that I said yes to God, and I said, it doesn't matter if we have instruments or band or any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. We're going to do this no matter what. In your life, you're going to face this kind of stuff. You're going to face these challenges, these questions that come up, and you say, ah, you know, can I really follow through with this? This is going to be hard. God's called me to this, but it's going to be hard. And some of that is just simply making the right choices for God and making the right choices that put you in alignment with God's, God's will and for God to be able to use you in your life in a powerful way for his kingdom. You have the choice. You can either accept or reject what God has said. You can either follow the truth or follow your own way. God gives you that choice. But when you say yes to God, you've got to say yes to God fully and you've got to say yes no matter what. And that's what this guy named Nehemiah did. Um... We're going to be talking, talking about him uh, just a little bit today. Some of the things that he did. He's, he's, the Israelites right now are in exile. They've been taken to Babylon. And some of them have been released back to Babylon. Some of them have stayed. Some of them are kind of staying there. And, and they haven't gone uh, back completely. Some of them have gone back and started to kind of rebuild and evaluate the situation and Things are in disarray uh, back in Jerusalem. Things are in really bad shape. So what happens is, is that Nehemiah happens to be a guy that is in connection with King Artaxerxes um, at this point in time. He's actually the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And this is what it says. In late autumn, in the sixth month of Kislev, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived in Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. He said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. What happened here is that Nehemiah, he heard about a need. He heard about what was going on with his people in this place that is supposed to represent the power of God. One of the things that you need to understand about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem was supposed to represent the kingdom of Israel. It was supposed to represent how strong, how mighty, how, how, how wonderful the God of this universe is because this is his chosen people. This is who he has chosen to pour out his blessings on. Now, they have rebelled against God. They have turned their backs on God, and that's the reason God had to send them into captivity. Now, I know that sounds all crazy. Why would God do that? Sometimes God does whatever it takes to get you to come back to him. That's the short answer to that. 
And here they are. They're in captivity. They're in exile in Babylon. And, and what happens is some of them go back and, and they go back and look at Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the symbol of God's blessing. And it's torn down and it's ripped to shreds. And Nehemiah, he's upset about it. It says he sat down and he wept. And he goes on to say that he fasted and he prayed. And he was praying, God, open a door for me to be able to do something about this. It's burdening my heart. When God puts something on your heart, it doesn't go away. It doesn't just let up. It's there. Now you have a choice, like I say, to accept or reject it. But if it's truly of God and you continue to seek his Holy Spirit every single day, the Holy Spirit of God will not allow it to fade away. If it's truly of God and it's truly his Holy Spirit, the closer you get to his Holy Spirit, the louder that voice gets. And that's just the way that it works. And he sat down and he wept and he was upset about this. And he starts praying to God and he says, all right, God. Basically what he says to God is that hey, you, you promised that, that if, we would, if we would honor you, if we would, if we would submit to your commands and your rules and your laws, that you would be our God and you would take care of us. But we rebelled against you, God. And we accept responsibility for that. We did what was wrong. We know. And we know that's why we're here. He said, but you also say in your word that if we'll come back to you, you'll be our guide and you'll be our protector. And, and you'll welcome us back in with open arms. And I know that about you. And God, I'm asking you to do that now. I'm asking you to open doors. I'm asking you to, to give me an opportunity to restore this place. So he gets passionate about restoring the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down and the gates are burned. And if you were thinking about a city and, and you walk up to a city and the walls are torn down and the gates are burned, how powerful and mighty does that, that group of people seem to you? Not very, right? They look like a bunch of weak people. Well, that's one of the things I think that bothers Nehemiah. It's supposed to represent the blessing of God, but when they look around and see the broken walls, you know what he sees? He sees their disobedience to God, and he sees that the reason that the walls are torn down is because they rejected God, and they went their own way, and they did their own thing, and because of that, God had to tear down their walls. God had to open up the door to allow the walls to be torn down so that they would see their sin, and they would see it with their own eyes, and every time they looked around, they would see the fact that they had rejected God as their one true God, and that's what was going on. So he gets passionate about it, and then he's the cupbearer, it says at the end of chapter 1, uh, it says, In those days I was the king's cupbearer. This is the memoir of Nehemiah. So he's recording all this. It says, In early spring in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine, and I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you so sad? So you don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. I was terrified. Now, what you need to understand is if you work for the king, especially if you're an Israelite working for King Artaxerxes, you didn't come in with a sad face. Every day that you came to work, you put a smile on your face because you risked being killed if you didn't. The king didn't want somebody coming up and serving him that, that looked all sad and down and depressed. The king wanted somebody that would pep him up when they walked in. He wanted somebody that, that was having a good day so that he could have a good day. You didn't walk in front of the king and be the reason that the king has a bad day. Because they would just cut off your, your neck, cut off your head, and go about it, uh, finding another person to be the cupbearer for the king. Somebody that was happier than you. And here, that's the reason he's terrified. He was terrified. He said, but I replied, long live the king. 
How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors were buried, are buried is in ruins and the gates have been torn down by fire? What I want you to know is this is the month of Nisan. It started, he started this, recording this in the month of Kislev. Months have passed. Somewhere between six, nine months have passed and he has been praying and he has been preparing his heart and he has been seeking God. So many times that we want to say, all right, God, you called me to this. Let me go storm the, storm the walls and, and start rebuilding right now and start doing this and start doing that. No, what he did was he prayed and asked God to open the doors. Then God opened the doors and look what happened. Because he was prayed up and ready, look what happened. It says, the king asked, the king asked the cupbearer, the guy who was in prison to him, who looked sad, who the king could have killed in an instant, he looks at Nehemiah and says, how can I help you? Babylonian kings do not look at Israelites and ask them the question, how can I help you? That does not happen. It does when you've sought God, when you've fasted and you've prayed and God has put something on your heart and you are seeking the will of God in your life and you say, God, how can you use me? I am here. I am a cupbearer for a reason. How can you use me? And he's prayed up and he's ready for that time. And when he walks in, he's got this sad look on his face. The king ends up saying, how can I help you? Amazing. It's amazing what God does sometimes. There are so many times when God's impressed upon my heart that we need to do something here in the church. Or, uh, or I'll see somebody that, that God is, is obviously moving in and, and kind of raising up as a leader or whatever. And I will pray, God, move in their heart. God, move in this way. Move in the hearts of the leadership. Move in the hearts of people that are, are passionate about following you and, and move in their lives so that we can go together. So I don't even have to say anything. You've already done the work and you've already prepared everything ahead of time. I cannot tell you the number of times where I don't even have to say anything. It will be brought to me. Hey, Kenny, why don't we do this? Hey, Kenny, why don't I do this to help out the church? Why don't I do this? It blows my mind, y'all. I'll just start praying about it, and, and I'll say, God, work in their life and show them what we need to do. That way, I don't even have to be the one to say it. They'll say it to me. I cannot tell you the number of times that has happened. And I'm not just talking about simple church. I'm talking about through my entire life is following Jesus. Like, how many times I just pray for that, and God will open the door before I even knock. It is so amazing how that happens. And here, this is exactly what's going on. The king of Babylon is asking a Jew, how can I help you? And he's ready. He, he says, you know what I need? He said, I need letters to all the governors. I'll be passing through their land that it's going to be okay for me to go through there. I need letters to the guy that owns the forest once I get there to say, hey, they're going to need some trees and let them cut down some trees so they can build up the gates. Hey, uh, um, you know, what, happen, what ends up happening, what's, what's pretty cool is, is the king says, all right, fine. And he gives him these letters for all the other governors as he passes through their territories. And he gives the letters so that they can cut down trees in the forest so that they can have uh, wood and, and to rebuild the, the gates. 
And then he also sends some protection too. Chariots and, and, and guards to protect them as they go. He went above and beyond even what Nehemiah had asked for. Nehemiah asked for this much, and the king, who is now serving a Jew, goes above and beyond to give him more. How beautiful a picture is that? And you say yes to God, you say, God, no matter what, man, you'd be surprised at the number of things God does that you don't even have to do. How it goes above and beyond, even what you've asked for. Blows your mind, and you go, I can't even believe that this is really happening. You know, when we first started Simple Church... Um, we didn't, like I said, we didn't have anybody to play instruments. We didn't have anybody. We didn't have any instruments. We didn't have any sound system. And, 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 and all of a sudden, uh, people started coming, you know, and talking about it and saying, hey, look, I want to come and be a part of what you guys are doing. Kayla being one of those. Um, uh, just saying, hey, I want to I be there. I want to help. You know, we've got some instruments. And then Joey saying, hey, you know what? I own a... Uh, a pro audio store, I believe I probably could help you. And I start praying about that and asking that. And God, and he tells me, Joey tells me at that point in time, he says, you know what? I'll let you borrow it for as long as you need to. Yeah, and then I, that was what I was praying for, right? That, that, that maybe God would open that door, that we'd have some sound equipment that we could use. It turns out that God went above and beyond, and Joey said, you know what, not only are we going to let you use our equipment, but we're going to come and be a part of the church. I said, oh, and by the way, my wife plays keys if you need somebody to play keys. I'm like, wow. You know? It's amazing how when you follow the leadership of, of the Holy Spirit and you follow God, that the things that he does, when you truly say no matter what. But you will not... <laughs> You will not follow God and follow his calling on your life without running into obstacles. When you follow, like I said earlier, when you follow just doing the right thing, when people around you are uh, in, in sexual relationships and, and, and drinking and doing all kinds of things at parties that they shouldn't be doing as teenagers, you'll probably just be faced with the option to either do the right thing or not, to partake in what they're partaking in or... or to do the right thing. And like I said, when you do the right thing, you will face opposition. It will be hard. One of those for you, a lot of times, is to be made feel like you're an outcast, that you're weird, that there's something wrong with you. Nehemiah faced opposition too. As he starts building the wall, what he comes up against is some of the governors from the surrounding uh, municipalities start to come together and say, we don't want the Israelites to be strong again. If the Israelites are strong, that's not a good situation for us. That means that we can't come and go as we want to. That means that we can't take from them. That means that all of a sudden, if they, if they start rebuilding everything, that they're going to be a strong nation again because they have the blessing of God and they're afraid of that. And they don't like it. And here, what happens is, the, the governors start to come around, and one of them, his name is Sanballat, uh, he starts to talk smack, and then they got some others that start to do that as well. In Nehemiah chapter 4, this is what we read. Now, Nehemiah has gone back. He's taken these letters. He's gone back, and he's, he's evaluated the walls is where we're at right now. So he has looked around at night, 
uh, kind of keeping this private, that he's going to be doing this, and he's looked around to see uh, what needs to be done. So then they start building. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does a bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make, a, make something from stone, uh, make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So here, what is he saying? He's, he's not only, not only is Sanballat making fun of them and making fun of their efforts, he's making fun of their God as well. I want you to understand something. That when you're faced with these decisions to do what is right and do what is wrong, that when, when people isolate you, when people make you feel bad for doing the right thing, they're not just doing that to you. They're mocking your God also. Because when you're following his leadership, if they reject you, it's not that they're rejecting you, they're rejecting him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's tied together. He goes on to say that, can these Jews really think that they can just build a wall by offering a few sacrifices? Is their God really that powerful? Is their God really going to help them? Because look, man, not only is their walls torn down, man, they're just charred and, and burned up and there's no way this is going to happen. Full of doubt. And, and not only, see, one of the things, one of the ways that Satan wants to work in your life is he wants to place doubt in your life that you can't really do it. That even though God has called you to do it, that you can't really do it. The, wall, the, the, the mountain that you're looking at is too insurmountable. It's too big. There's no way it's not going to happen. Forget about it. Just quit. And you know what? Satan doesn't work, have to work real hard to get us to quit. Quitting is very easy, as a matter of fact. I'm a master at doing nothing, as a matter of fact. Like I, I, I know how to do nothing. Nobody has to teach me how to do nothing. I can do that on my own. So when something tempts me to do nothing or do something, I'm like, hmm, I think I'll choose nothing. I have to be aware of that about myself. I have to be aware that... that the temptation to do nothing is always going to be there, that Satan would rather me do nothing than something, especially when it comes to following God. So that was Samballot. We got Tobiah. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Now, that seems like an unusual way for us to, to poke fun at somebody. But in this day and this time, what he's saying is it's feeble. What, you're, what you've already put back together isn't even holding together. Once again, trying to place doubt in their minds that what they're doing is actually going to produce something, right? He, he's saying that, that like it is so weak that it is not going to accomplish anything, that you're not going to be able to finish, that even if you put it back together, it's going to be weak when it's done. It says, then Nehemiah prayed, then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. What Nehemiah says there is that, hey God, we remembered who you were. 
we got shown full on who God is. You reminded us of who you were. You reminded us that if we rebelled against you, that you would send us into exile, that, you, that we would suffer as a result of what we have done, the fact that we have rejected you. He said, this is what he said, God, I ask that you remind them the same way you reminded us. The same way you had to remind us that you're God, God, I pray that you would remind them that you're God. Show them that you're God the same way that you showed us that you're God. That's what you read in chapter 4 is about how they're being oppressed, how they're being made fun of. And then they go on in chapter 5, and I won't read this to you, but basically what, what has happened in chapter 5 is that people start grumbling because they're working to rebuild the walls, and there's a lot of people taking advantage of each other in the city. The trading is not fair. There are people that are starving. There are people that are going hungry. And there, there are people that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And Nehemiah's like, this has got to stop. We can't do the work unless we first fix ourselves. We can't be saying, God, bless us when we're doing things that are wrong on the inside of these walls. God, bless us to be able to rebuild these walls and show our power and show our strength and show that we've got the blessing of God on us. We can't do that unless we fix ourselves first. He says, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to treat people fairly. You need to do the right thing. And you need to care about the people that are going hungry. And he addresses that in chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, we see this. They finished the wall, okay? Every person, um, every person kind of took on responsibility for building the wall near their house, and they, they finished the wall. They come, um, they, they come under attack in, in that they're afraid for themselves. As a matter of fact, it says that at one point in time, every single worker had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other because they were ready to defend themselves as they built it says that at some point they would be working on the wall and they would have guards standing behind them with a spear or a sword to be able to protect them in case they came uh, under attack while they built. Then they had a trumpet to sound. Now I want you to know something, and this is important for us to know, important for you to, to remember. Anytime you see a trumpet referenced in God's word, do you know what it means? It's a very simple thing. Every single time that you see a trumpet mentioned or, or the sound of a trumpet, it's an assembling of God's people. It's a bringing together of God's people. And you need to know that. And they even have a trumpet there. He says, you know what? This is what he says. He says, you know what? If we start to come under attack, listen for that trumpet. When that trumpet sounds, we need to come together and we need to fight together. When we, when we hear that trumpet, that should be your clue that it's time to unite with your brothers and sisters to fight for what we believe in. Man, maybe we need to get a trumpet in here. I'll play the trombone just a little bit, you know. Maybe we need to get a trumpet in here. And we say, you know what? When we come together, we blow the trumpet. And we say, it's time for us as brothers and sisters to come together and unite for a common purpose and a common goal. Man, every single time we sing these, these praise and worship songs, every single time... We, we lift up our voices to Christ. I think that we should recognize that, man, is our time to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, united together to fight for a common goal. 
And that is to show how powerful God is and to show that his blessing is real, to show that, that his people, if they follow him, that he blesses and that he loves and that he cares for. What ends up happening is this, is that they finish building the wall, defending them, themselves. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the, the villages in the plain of Ono. Don't go to the plain of Ono, just in case you're wondering, because, oh, no, right? So anyway, but I realized they were pl plotting to harm me. So I replied, sending this message, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. Now, what happens on the fifth time when, when they send a message they say, you know what? We are going to start a rumor about you. We have heard rumors, and, and we're going to continue to re repeat these rumors. That you're not truly a man of God like you say that you are. We're going to continue to repeat these things. And, and, and here is what Nehemiah says. There is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. It ticked him off, is what it did. They threatened him. They threatened to, to come at him with rumors and all this kind of stuff, and it just made him mad. He just said, I'm going to work harder as a result. When we face obstacles in our lives, you know what it should do? It should fire us up. When we face people that, that mock us or talk about us or whatever, when we're trying to do the right thing, it should motivate us to do it more. It shouldn't motivate us to do nothing. It should motivate us to do more, just like Nehemiah did. Now, what ends up happening is, it says on the, October the 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had become, after we had begun. When our enemies... And the surrounding nations heard about it. They were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Here's what happened. Nehemiah had God put something on his heart. He saw a need. He was challenged by that need and he started praying. He started praying. God started opening doors. So Nehemiah started the work. He got everybody together and said, we're going to work together. And they did because God was at work in Nehemiah's life. And through the people of Israel, he was able to bring them together. And they were all working together for this common purpose. He faced opposition, people mocking him, people threatening his life. At one point in time, they actually, uh, somebody tries to trick him into going into the temple. He says, they're coming to kill you tonight, Nehemiah. Just go into the temple and lock the doors. Well, Nehemiah knows that he's not, he's not allowed to go in the temple. That would be rebellion against God for him to go in to the temple. He says, how would that look for me as their leader to rebel against God and to go into the temple? I'm not doing that. If they're going to kill me, let them come kill me. And he's so resolute in the fact that he's doing what God wants him to do that nothing is standing in his way, even the, the threats on his life. And what happens? In this situation, the wall gets built. There are no gaps in it. 
The wall's solid. It's secure. I think the reason God points out there are no gaps in it is because you're not, you're not squeaking a, ro- a cockroach through this, this wall. They built it firm and they built it strong because God was at work. And that's exactly what Nehemiah says. He says, the enemies around us, all the nations heard about us, and they were terrified. They were terrified. They were humiliated. Because what had they done? They had said, this will never happen. This will never happen. In your life, sometimes you'll be faced to do the right thing or the wrong thing, and, and you'll have to make that choice. If you stand strong in that and you pray to God and you say, God, I, I want you to be glorified in my life and I want, you to, I want your glory to be shown through my life, that has an impact on the people around you. The nations around you will see exactly what God is doing and it will have an impact on them. Now, for some people, if you do the right thing, it's going to terrify them. It's going to terrify them. There's a person that was doing the right thing and God... Looks, it shows them what's going on in their life and, and maybe they come to a church service. Maybe they walk into a church service and they hear the realities about hell and what it means to be separated from God for all of eternity. And maybe it terrifies them. And maybe they say, well, that's the reason. Maybe that's the reason that these people are doing the right thing. And then some of them will be humiliated. They'll be humiliated to say, you know what? They're doing what I should be doing. They're doing the right thing. I've been doing the wrong thing. This God that they talk about is a real God. This God that they serve and they follow and they do what he tells them to, he's real. The purpose is not to terrify somebody. The purpose is not to make someone feel humiliated. The purpose is to do what God has called you to do. That your faith will be shown through what you do and the fact that you say no matter what. In Nehemiah's life, he had the choice about whether to follow God or not. And he said, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to follow God no matter what. And even when his life was at risk, he wouldn't, he wouldn't desecrate the temple by walking in there at a time when he wasn't supposed to be in there. He said, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. So in you and your life, I know this has been long tonight. I know that. In you and your life, you'll have a choice as to how you respond to God and his calling on your life and his his desire for you to do the right thing when you're challenged with it? My prayer is that you'll say, no matter what, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll do what God has called me to do. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the testimony of Nehemiah, for what he shows us and the fact that he stands strong. And every single time he stands strong in the face of opposition, he gives credit to you. It always comes back to you. And even when he was faced... With going in front of the king, God, he gave glory to you, saying the reason I found favor with the king was because of you, God, because of how powerful and mighty you are. Lord, in our lives, we're going to be faced with challenges and choices and times to do the right thing and the wrong thing. God, I pray that we would do the right thing. I pray that we would follow you, and we would follow you no matter what. And God, I pray that we would have a testimony like Nehemiah, where we said we faced a lot of opposition, but we did what we were called to do. God, at the end of the day, it would not be us that receives the glory from that, but you. God, I pray that you would show that to our enemies. You'd show that to the people who stand against us. Lord, I pray that our light would so shine before men. Our good deeds, God, they would, they would shine brightly before men so they would see our good deeds and they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, I just pray that, God, that we would uh, choose to do what glorifies you. 
God, thank you so much for the testimony of Nehemiah. Thank you so much for your word. We pray, Lord, you'll be glorified as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.